Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Welcome to episode 44 of the show. This week's episode is brought to you by HealthyMoving.com. Healthy Moving is all about exercising less, moving more, and feeling better. Visit HealthyMoving.com slash Sorta Awesome Text Sorta Awesome to 33444 for your free guide to five simple moves to get you moving while you listen to Sorta Awesome. I am thrilled to welcome to the show a special guest co host, my longtime friend through blogging, Amy Allen Clark of momadvice.com. For over 12 years, momadvice.com has been a hub of creative inspiration and practical problem solving for thousands of women. Her vision for inspiring women to make their lives a little more awesome has landed her in the New York Times, Redbook, Martha Stewart Every Day, Parents Magazine, and tons of other places. And today, Amy is joining us to talk about some things that have been life-changingly awesome for her, including her spin on the capsule wardrobe, her passion for books and authors, and how her family is solving the problem of too much screen time. We will get to all of that in just a bit, Amy, but first, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We are so thrilled that you're here. We have got a huge show planned for you guys today. So I know that everyone is going to be thrilled to hear what you have to share with us this week. Amy, as you know, we always start sort of awesome with our awesome of the week. So I'm just going to dive right in and get started with that. Now, I know you love a Spotify playlist the way I do. In fact, some of the first playlists that I found when I first got on Spotify, the ones that I loved and followed were from you. 
Yes, I am a big music enthusiast. <laughs> you are a master at putting together a great playlist. I have loved yours so much. So I actually came across one that was mentioned in the Sort of Awesome Hangout group, and it's a Spotify playlist called Hymns for Hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? When I first read the title in the group, I was like, oh my gosh, sign me up. Hymns for Hipsters. I'm in. <laughs> So yeah, it is a Spotify playlist. It was created by a Spotify user named Evan Lemkul. I'm probably butchering his last name, but he has created this playlist that has over 100 hymns on it. They are just these gorgeously arranged hymns that have been given a little bit of a modern update. They have been such a delight to listen to. And I, I don't know, I guess the hipster part comes in maybe because some of the arrangements sort of had that folksy feel to them. You know what I mean? Like sort Yeah, of, a little Mumford and Sons. That's, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Okay. A little Mumford <laughs> and Sons spin on the old hymns of the faith. And two, I think that hymns in general are just kind of having a revival in popularity right now. Lots of hipstery type people are tuning into the old hymns, kind of the sort of uh, Sufjan Stevens effect on the old hymn books. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's been so great. Now, I do have to say, I am not usually great with Christian music, sort of like Christian contemporary music. I think it might be an after effect of like, it was just so, such the big deal when I was a kid and teenager that was in some parts of my life, that was all I was allowed to listen to. So unfortunately, and this is really bad on my part, but I kind of tend to write off a lot of Christian music, but I really do still love the old hymns, the old timey religion hymns. They remind me so much of like standing in church in the pew next to my parents, singing those songs alongside them, the songs they had been singing since they were kids. My dad was always singing or humming or whistling a, a hymn around the house. And now we are part of a church where on Sunday mornings, we sing these lovely modern arrangements of hymns. And it has just been so, I don't know, like comforting, if that's the right word, to have my children there now with us in the pew. And they're singing these songs that I had sung since I was a kid. And um, it's been really comforting and really actually kind of powerful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely do. I am more of a hymn person myself. The contemporary music is newer for me, not necessarily something I gravitate towards. So we are a family that goes to the traditional service because we like the, you know, the more traditional songs. So I definitely right. would love that. I can't wait to check out that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, there are more than 100 hymns on this playlist. So I wanted to tell y'all three of my favorites that I've really super been enjoying. I intentionally did not choose any of the Sufjan selections because frankly, those are all my favorites. <laughs> but also on that playlist, there is a version of Be Thou My Vision from The Lower Lights. I had not heard of The Lower Lights, but they have this version of Be Thou My Vision, which is just beautiful. It's one of my very favorite hymns of all time. There's also a group um, called Page 116. They have a whole project of reviving and bringing new life to these old hymns. They have a version of O Sacred Head Now Wounded that is just so gorgeous, so beautiful. And then finally, there is a version of This Is My Father's World from Gunger, which is also just fantastic. So those are my three favorites. I'm sure there's something for everyone on that playlist. And Amy, for those of us who observe Lent, this playlist is especially timely because believe it or not, Lent begins 
in a few short weeks on February 10th. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. We have an early Easter this year. So if you're like me, you like listening to the hymns of the faith during the Lenten season, you will find lots to choose from on the Hymns for Hipsters playlist on Spotify. So yeah, that I can't was, wait to check that out. Yeah, that's my awesome of the week, Amy. I cannot wait to hear yours. I I believe you brought a book to share with us this week. Is that right? I did. Yeah. This book has been on my radar for about a year. It's called A Little Life. It's by Hana Yanagihara. I hope I'm not butchering her name. It's a it's a mouthful. That is. Yeah, but this book, um, it just moved me in a way that books usually don't move me in this way, but this book, I mean, I was in tears. I was thinking about it. These people felt so real to me. It's about four friends that live in New York. It's about four guys. It follows them from the time they're around 18 until they're middle-aged, up until 50, around that age. And it follows this beautiful friendship. And there was just something the way that she wrote it made them all feel like real people. And Jude St. Francis is one of the main characters in the book. And it kind of is all built around these four friends and how much they love Jude. And you realize right from the opening that there's something um, wrong, that something has happened to Jude. And so for people that are highly sensitive, uh, it might be one to bypass. It's an extremely emotional journey. And even within the first hundred pages, you realize that this is someone that has been an abuse victim, a childhood abuse victim. And so it's a really hard and difficult read. Uh, there were two things that kind of held me back from really digging into it. One being the sheer volume of pages in this book. It's like over 700 pages. So oh, it's a wow. big commitment. Yes. Yeah, it's a big book. But also the other thing being the emotional subject matter. But I had a cold and I was on the couch for three days. And so I had basically unlimited time to settle in with it. And it was one of the most beautiful books I think I'll ever read in my lifetime. And I read a lot. And her writing is just so compelling. But it's also one of those books that just guts you. And so because of that, it takes a special kind of person to read it. Like there are people that I say, I love this book, but I absolutely cannot tell you to read it. But if you are looking for something that's just moving and compelling and thought provoking and or you're looking for four friends. I feel like I made four friends out of this book. And it's just, it was such a great read. And I I think it will probably be in my top five books of all my life. Oh, so wow. definitely recommend that. Okay, tell <laughs> us the title again. It's called A Little Life. A Little and Life. And it's by Hana Yanagihara. Okay, okay. I got goosebumps just now when you said that because for anyone who's a reader, when you find one of those books that you just sit back when you're done and you're like, okay, this has a new place in my all-time favorites list. That is such a powerful moment. So I it love it. It is. And it's so hard to move away from it too, because I feel right. like I'm in a book hangover and like nothing's ever going to compare to it. And I'm just going to be thinking about this book for weeks and weeks. And so every time I try and start a book after it, that's the only bad part is trying to start something after you read something <laughs> right. so beautiful that you're like, eh, everything feels a little shy now that I've read this book. Yes. Um, but, you know, it was just a great read and I, I can't recommend it enough. I love that. It's so funny that you said that, Amy. Just a few weeks ago, my oldest, Daisy, she's about to turn 11. She and I had a wonderful sit down talking about books. And she said that same thing. She said, Mom, the 
worst part about reading is when you finish a book and you don't want it to end. And she was just going on and on about how painful that experience was. And I was like, I want to take a moment here because this is like one of the best moments of parenting so far. That is. That's so great when you hear that your kids love reading that yes. much. Yes, I love it. Okay, well, thank you so much for telling us about that book. It is everywhere right now. Thanks for telling us your experience with it. That is one to check out for sure. Thank you also for putting the highly sensitive warning label on it. Yes. Some of us are more sensitive than others. So, okay. Well, Amy, one thing I always ask our guest co-hosts to do is to share with us what we call the five-minute life story. So I hope you don't mind to share that with us today. It's really just an overview, the highlights of kind of where you're from and what you have going on right now so that we can get to know you a little bit better before we really dig into the meat of the show. Well, I grew up in Elkhart, Indiana, which is just this little town. And in high school, I met my husband. We were doing Fiddler on the Roof. He was Man with Fish number two, and I was <laughs> Grandmother's Idol. Um, and I saw him audition, and I just knew that this guy was just the one for me. And uh, we ended up dating all through high school. And then when it came time to make college decisions, we were both wanting to kind of do our own thing. Like we didn't want to base it on who we were with, but just on what we were passionate about. And so we both applied to colleges. We applied to dorms. We applied to all these things and then, you know, sat down and we're like, okay, I'm going to. And it ended up being, we both went to Purdue University. We ended up in the same dorm on the same floor. Oh, wow. I feel like there was some kind of God moment in there because we were both thinking we were going to do other things and be other places. And we ended up together. And my husband was recruited. He was interning at Microsoft and he was uh, doing that in the summertime. And a couple of the guys that he worked with wanted to do a startup and they were both based on the East Coast. And so he decided he wanted to pursue his dream. We moved out to Massachusetts after we got married, literally packed our belongings after our honeymoon and just headed to Massachusetts to start this new life at this new startup. And we were going to be millionaires. It was going to be this great thing. (laughs) Well, of course, what ends up happening is that the dot-com bomb happened. And my husband ended up losing his job after a few good years of business. And then um, I thought that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And two weeks before my son was born, he came middle of the day at my job. And I was like, you didn't lose your job, did you? And he did. And so we found ourselves in this, you know, position where I had to return to work and support the family and he was applying for jobs. And so for 10 months, we were looking for work and trying to find something. And what ended up happening was the only place that called back was South Bend, Indiana. So we found ourselves in this like nearby town, right outside of where our parents live and coming back kind of full circle back to where we started. And so uh, I wanted to stay home with my son because I felt like I missed out on the first year. And, you know, he, he said, you know, we really need the money. So I thought, well, what if I could save and do things to save that would help us, you know, be able to both do what we want to do? I started checking out books like depression era books, Tightwad Gazette from like the 80s, like all these books about saving money, but none of them made it look glamorous or fun. And so I told my husband, I just wonder if like we could make this more contemporary, more relatable, and also that it didn't look so terrible to save. And so we started the website momadvice.com. And I really just started it because I wanted to be able to get pizza maybe once a month. Like, wouldn't that be cool? You know what I mean? <laughs> the Never, luxury of pizza once a month. Being yes. like, oh, like this is where I 
I belong and I'm going to be making money and doing all these things. And never in my wildest dreams would I dream like 12 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. And so that's what I do. I just, I run this site. I have a 13 year old now and a 10 year old and we're um, in this really sweet spot of parenting. I really, really love hanging out with my kids. They're like little mini adults and they're just so enjoyable to be around. We're also dating again because now they're old enough to, you know, be able to get back to your dating life. So it's just like this really magical time because they still like us. Yes. And, you know, they still want to hang out with us and we're not such terrible people yet. Right. You know, know it's coming, but we're enjoying (laughs) it for what it is right now. So it's just a really good time uh, for me and for for what I get to do. So I'm very thankful. That is fantastic. That is quite a story. And I know what you mean. The big kid phase has just been wonderful. I feel like every year after six, I think just keeps getting better and better. And I love parenting big kids more and more. So I totally hear you on that. So one thing I know I've asked you to prepare actually a couple of things to come and talk to us about because you, Amy, have so many things going on. I was like, how can we cram all of this into? one one hour show. But one of the things I could not wait to ask you about first is your capsule wardrobe. In fact, you've been sharing little sneak peeks of it around the web. So I'm getting super excited to see all of it. You have this project that you've been working on for a while, the capsule wardrobe. But I was wondering before we get into your specific capsule wardrobe, if you could start by telling us just a little bit about what is a capsule wardrobe exactly? Yeah. Before I get started, I also want to say that I told my husband, I was hoping this could be like the super edition of Babysitter's Club where, you know, like it's surprise, this podcast is like four hours long. If you never knew it because I have so much to say about this topic. But yes. um, yeah, the fashion capsule wardrobe. So I was curious about it because I obviously run a blog about frugal living and it sounded really intriguing to me, but I honestly didn't think it was something that I personally could do. It's basically where you whittle your wardrobe down to, um, you know, a a set amount of clothing items. And then you try to make as many outfits as you can out of it. And it's usually somewhere in in the neighborhood of 28 to 38 items, let's say, uh, in your closet. And then you do not purchase anything during the time that you have the capsule wardrobe. So it freezes your spending. You focus on curating a really great wardrobe. And then depending on what, you know, where you do the capsule wardrobe, Carolyn Joy has a site called Unfancy. Yes. And then um, Courtney Carver runs Be More With Less. And both of them have really great ideas for creating a capsule wardrobe and also creating rules around your capsule wardrobe. So that's basically the the capsule wardrobe in a nutshell is just, you know, curating your wardrobe and creating this interchangeable wardrobe that you can use the pieces with and create as many outfits as possible out of. So are capsule wardrobes usually by season? So do you usually have like, this is my spring capsule, this is my summer, or does it kind of depend on where you live? How do you determine how long those say 30 pieces are going to last you? So typically they last three months. But for me, sometimes I will make it last four months because of our weird season. So like, I don't want to jump into spring when spring weather isn't necessarily here. And so 
it kind of depends also on, on the type of weather. And also, you know, you can create your own rules around how you want to set it up. I feel like a lot of people get really fixated on the rules. Like I'm not going to wear winter clothing if it's 90 degrees out in my state. You know what <laughs> right? I mean? But yes. sometimes people get really focused on it has to follow the rules. It has to be like this. But I, I feel like there has to be some type of flexibility, especially when you live in the Midwest. There has yes. to be flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I get it. Yes. That's great. Okay. So how did you then get into the capsule wardrobe thing? I have always been curious about it, even from the time that I was in middle school. I remember riding on the bus and I had a Glamour magazine, which was kind of risque. And yeah. Right. (laughs) But they had this capsule wardrobe. Donna Karen was really famous for it in the beginning. It was like five easy pieces, five easy pieces that you can create a wardrobe out of. And I was really intrigued by the idea, but my family didn't have very much money to give me for a school wardrobe. But I told them I wanted to create this capsule wardrobe what they gave me was like 50 bucks. So basically what I could buy was like a cheap pair of black pants, a cheap white shirt, you know, all of it ended up like the very first time it went through the wash became a crumpled ball. So like the idea (laughs) has always been in the back of my mind is something I wanted to do, but financially did not feel like I could. And then fast forward years and years later, we live in a sixties home. It has very small closets. We don't have a lot of space for a lot of things. And I am really fixated on fashion and I love clothing. And I had a partnership with a local boutique. And so she traded ad space for me for credit for her store, which was great until things got a little out of hand with my closet because I had all these great pieces, but I was only wearing them once or they only were worn one way, or I was going to concerts or shows and being like, I'll just run into Forever 21 and grab a shirt for this special occasion. And then just not really caring about the things that I had. And so I thought that this would be a really great exercise for me as someone who's trying to explore more minimize life. I will say my husband laughed and said that I could not do it, which only fueled the fire of more. Of course. I was yes. So him. Like challenge I, accepted. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> and he is pretty floored that it's been over a year now since I started this journey. And now I don't think I could ever go back. I even had a little lapse between a capsule, like one of those times where, you know, the seasons were kind of weird and I and we were traveling a lot and I just kind of was like all over the board. And I did not feel half as confident as I feel with what, by minimizing that wardrobe, what I'm able to do now versus what I was doing before. That is so great. Now, I know that you, like you said, for over a year, you've been working with this. You've been gathering these pieces and, and doing some really cute, really darling, great things with mixing and matching and creating new outfits out of your capsule, which has been so inspiring to watch and to be inspired by myself. But I know that you actually, you had an experience where you learned some information that caused you to really rethink not only the idea of the capsule wardrobe, but what you were buying to put into your capsules. Instead of maybe the more traditional look at a capsule wardrobe, you have started doing something different. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So about halfway through my capsule experience, I ran across this documentary on Netflix called The True Cost. And it was this really eye-opening experience for me. I know that many of us are aware of things like sweatshops and fast fashion industry and how all of that works. And I was completely aware of that, although a little, I would admit, detached from it. Enough that I knew about it, but not that I was 
passionate about it anyway or knew anything about it. But what this documentary really explored was what happens to the things that we don't care about and how so many of our donations end up overseas to other countries and cause pollution and health problems for other people. And, you know, it was witnessing this that really started getting me thinking about how could I be a more conscious consumer? I feel like I was starting in that direction with the capsule and I felt like it was impacting other areas of my life. I saw the the need to minimize. I think we're all kind of comaring it up and we're all getting rid of things. And I totally think that's awesome. But I also think that we also continue to acquire things. And how could I be a better acquirer of things and also be more conscious of my decisions? And so they had featured a couple of companies that were really great. But then when I looked at the prices of some of the items, I just did not feel as a frugal person that I could, you know, showcase that on my site, as well as devote a big portion of my budget to, you know, always getting the best company stuff. So I decided to switch to buying gently used and secondhand items for my capsule. So about 80% of my capsule is secondhand. So I am able to um, curate and create a capsule, which definitely takes a little bit more discipline, a little bit more patience. As we all know, when you do consignment shopping, you have to be a little bit more patient. Not everything's just going to fall in your lap. It's not as easy as going to a store and going to a rack and grabbing what you need. But I found that I'm able to achieve uh, what I want to do uh, with my wardrobe, as well as embrace the ideas of doing something a little bit more eco-conscious and also still continuing to keep in mind that I don't want to be acquiring so much because I don't want my cast-offs to end up hurting someone else and their country. So it's just been a really eye-opening experience for me. I'm sure it really has. And you know, I went through a thrifting, I bought only thrifted clothes for a couple of years uh, for myself and for my children. Then the twins came along and that kind of detoured me on that because it's really hard to drag two little boys through thrift stores. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I do know from the years that I spent doing that, it is such a different experience. If you are used to, if your idea of the normal experience of shopping is going into a mall and the mall stores, they are kind of telling you this is what you buy now this is what is in style they have the mannequins with the outfits and everything's put together you don't have to even really think about it maybe try something on see how it looks for you but in terms of making the decisions it's kind of like if this is your favorite store these are the things you're buying for this season and then when you go into a thrift store or if you're shopping an online consignment there's a huge challenge. It can be a really big hurdle to overcome because all of a sudden you are responsible for like deciding okay what do I actually need for this season? And how am I going to put these things together in a way that I can feel great about what I'm wearing every day? So what has that process kind of been like for you going from having a cute little local boutique to shop at and then, you know, online shopping, which we all do, to figuring out how to do this with um, gently used clothing? Yeah, so I use ThreadUp for purchasing, which is an online consignment shop. It's been really a great experience for me because they have a search tool right on the site where you can say, I need a black dress. I need black pants. I need this size. I need them to be petite. I need them to be plus size. You can really specify what you are looking for. And so like a basic capsule wardrobe is, you know, we all know what 
we love the most are what are classic pieces. So like a white shirt, a chambray shirt, a black pair of pants, a black skirt. You know, you start with those basic staples and then kind of work your way out from there. And so what I did was I started with weaving in just basics, like a good pair of jeans, a good pair of black pants and looking for those things on consignment. And so, yeah, it does take a long time to acquire everything that you want. It's taken me about three capsules to get to the point where now I'm just kind of adding a couple of pretty pieces into things, but I have all the classics that I need to get by. And so it it's definitely more time consuming, but I also love that with like ThreadUp, for example, I can have all those items shipped to my house and I can return them if I don't want to them. I don't necessarily. Yeah. So they come to my door. I have the time to try them on and really try them on with the the pieces that I already have in my capsule or what I'm planning to do with my next capsule. And that way I can make sure that they really have the the flow that I need. Sometimes you can't really do that with going into a store. You have to, you know, or having to return it. I can just put it back in the box, ship it back as long as I do it within the set amount of time. And then also I have the option of also giving them the clothes that end up not getting a lot of circulation in my capsule, I can also use that credit to continue moving my capsule forward while staying on budget. (laughs) That is amazing. That sounds like such an easier way to do it than I was doing it for sure when I was in my big thrifting stage. I think that companies like ThreadUp, that's probably one of the most well-known ones, but I know there's others that are popping up all the time that are you know, driven by the same mission of making it easier to buy gently used clothing for yourself and for your family. So that sounds actually really fantastic. I may have to give this whole thing another try. I think you can do it. I know you can. You've done it the hard way. This is so easy. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, we will be back with more from Amy Allen Clark after this from our sponsor. Hey friends, I hope by now you've checked out HealthyMoving.com. If you have, you know that Jen Hoffman is offering something radically different from what you usually hear in the health and fitness world. The Healthy Moving Revolution invites you to honor your body the way it is right now while learning how to make healthy movement a part of your everyday life. Here's Healthy Moving student Allie to share her experience with the program. The Healthy Moving Podcast has helped me improve my overall health by making small changes in the way I move and think about my body. Because it isn't a huge lifestyle change and doesn't require an enormous time commitment, it's something I was actually able to complete and fit into my daily routine. I really appreciate its blessing in my life. Thank you, Allie. I want all of you to go to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome. That's all one word, sorta awesome to 33444 for more information on how you can be part of the healthy moving revolution. Thank you, Jen and healthymoving.com. We are back and we have been talking with Amy Ellen Clark about one of the things that she's most passionate about, and that is putting together a capsule wardrobe and making responsible and ethical shopping choices along the way. Now, anyone who is familiar with your work, Amy, knows that a capsule wardrobe is one thing that you're passionate about, but you are also very well known for your passion for books for reading, and for authors. You have started a series that has been so fascinating for me, and that is your author interview series. Most of us who read about books are happy to read reviews, either on 
book blogs or on Amazon, on Goodreads, but we don't often get that really unique insight into the author, into what drives them, what inspires them, how they went about creating the books that we love so much. But you decided, hey, let's just ask them and find out. And so you started this author interview series, and it has been so eye-opening and so wonderful to hear from these authors themselves. Tell me a little bit about what got your wheels turning about starting the author interview series and what some of your favorite highlights from that series have been. Yeah. So I am a huge bookworm. I have been since I was a little girl and we used to have the bookmobile that came right on our block and brought us books. And I have always been a passionate reader and I love to read and read large volumes of books every year and excited to learn more about them. I actually reignited my passion for reading. Probably, I think it was in 2008, I decided to make a commitment to my readers that I was going to get back to reading. And so I thought, well, I'll just add these book reviews in with it. And then as social media evolved, we had these great opportunities where you could contact the writers through Twitter. Um, At that point, I was just tweeting them and just sending them like gushing fan letters, you know, basically, and that small amount of characters as much as I could convey my love for everything they did. And I would come to bed and just be like telling my husband, oh my word, like you have no idea who I just talked to, you know, and he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I'm like, they're famous. Like, how do you not know who that is? You know? So I just kept reading and and thinking about what a great thing this is. Like I would even send them fan mail on Goodreads and be like, you know, dear writer, you know, like I love you so much. Like I just want to tell you everything I loved about your book. And then I would like be like dying when they responded. So I thought, I wonder if we could add that to our site, because I think that every author has such an incredible process of writing their books, as well as just hearing about where they get these ideas, particularly with historical fiction is one of my favorite to explore. Cause I'm always like, what makes you choose that particular time in history to explore. And so I just basically like I send cold emails to like everyone that I think should be on the site. Um, I particularly have a fondness for debut authors because I think that they're often the most motivated and the most forthcoming about their stories because they, you know, want to sell that first book so badly. And then you know, as they get more and more famous, of course, we start to get more into a rocky terrain if they're going to answer my emails or not, you know, (laughs) I honestly have never had anyone turn me down. It's just been so great because I just send them emails and I always, you know, tell them everything that I love about them and try to be as sincere as possible. And, you know, make sure that it's not just, you know, a form email like, hey, I'd like to have you on the site. It's like, here's what I love about you and about your writing. And this passage in particular really moved me. And I think maybe it's that passion that they can see that that's why they respond. And then once they respond to the series and say that they would like to be part of it, I spend, I I don't even know how many hours researching behind the scenes about them so that when I ask them questions, it's not, you know, superficial things that they could, you could find out or, you know, like, what's your favorite ice cream? Like, I'm not going to ask them that. I want them to feel like I take their work seriously and I want to dig around a little bit. So a lot of times in the evening, I'll be having my glass of wine and I'm watching all their YouTube interviews and like exploring their Facebook page and reading every response they ever said on anything, (laughs) every photo they've ever posted. I'm digging around in their Instagram feed and their Twitter and I'm trying to find these fun facts that I think our readers will really love. But I don't think a lot of times people realize how much digging goes on behind the scenes because I really want it to be memorable for them. And it really means a lot when, 
you know, authors come back and they say things like, wow, like that's the best question I've ever had asked. That means a lot to me. I don't know if they say that to everybody. It certainly makes me feel special. Sure. And, uh, and it, it's a real relationship because over time, like I follow them and they respond to things on my site. And one day, one of my favorite authors was pinning off my site. I saw she pinned a minion cupcake or something. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like you're famous. And it just means so much to have a real relationship with them and to know, know them in a different way, in a more intimate way and get to share that with our readers along the way. Well, I did not know that you spent hours and hours preparing these interviews, but I will tell you that just as a reader, that really comes through. You can tell, I can tell as a reader when I read these author interviews that you have put so much time and devotion and that your passion for them as people, as human beings really comes through in the things that you ask and how the interviews play out, there's just there's always something so unique and so profound that I walk away from each of those interviews having learned. And they have just been such a treat to get to experience as a reader. So I can only imagine that taking the time to do all of that behind the scenes and getting to know these authors, I'm sure it's been so rewarding for you. To be honest, like with the blog and stuff, things can get a little tiring, a little, you know, like you get into this routine of writing and, and it can get a little old, like it's been 12 years. And, but this really reignited my, my desire to continue blogging because I'm so passionate about reading and I want other people to have that passion too. It's, it's my, my thing, but I want it to be their thing too. And I think if they knew the story behind how people create these incredible books that we are so lucky to get to read, that maybe they will want to pick up a book that is out of their genre, out of their comfort zone. And that's really like, I feel like the series helps to push the envelope of, you know, stepping out of the typical genre of what you're reading and, and learning more about these amazing people that create these beautiful words that we get to experience every day. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad that you have taken up that cause because it has been such a treat on this end of the screen to get to experience those alongside you. So we've talked about some of your passion for clothing and for fashion and those types of things. We've talked about your passion for your the authors that you've been interviewing. I would love to hear some of the books that you have read because you do, you read extensively across genres. I would love to hear what are some of the books that have kind of changed your life, that have had such a profound impact, have been so meaningful to you as a voracious reader. What are some of the ones that stand out at the top of your list? Yeah, so I did not want to pick things that people had already heard of. Like my big thing was I wanted to pick some things that, you know, aren't the typical, like we, I love Just Mercy. I love All the Lights We Cannot See. There's a, a number of books that we always talk about, but I really wanted to pick some books that changed my life perspective, I guess. It, they're all fiction books. So, oh, okay, great. Uh, I love I, it. I'm a big, big fiction reader. So I picked three books that changed my viewpoints. And the first book is called Those Who Save Us. It's by Jenna Blum. And it was this great book about the Holocaust, but it changed my perspective because it was the first book that I had read from a different perspective on what was happening during that era. It showcases how Germans had to survive during the Holocaust too. It's a really incredible story, a survival story of a German woman. And her daughter is researching her because she finds a, a picture of her with a Nazi soldier and wants to know what's what happened there. Yes, you know? And so it's 
the first time that I had thought about the Holocaust in a different way from a different viewpoint. This was, you know, Schindler's List was the only experience I had had at that point. And so after that, when I read that story, it just really made me think differently about all the people that were involved during that time. And so I think it's a really good one. Fascinating. Yes. The other one is called My Notorious Life. It's by Kate Manning. It's historical fiction as well. Um, She was this controversial figure during Victorian time in New York City, and she became a midwife. And it was really during the time where women didn't have a lot of rights. There, you know, there was not a lot known about birth control or anything like that. And she kind of became a champion for women's rights. And she was doing things that obviously were against the law. And I think it's really a compelling read because of the time at the the time in the country where it was more impoverished. There were a lot of orphans. There was a lot of people that were starving. The women were starving. The kids were starving. Everyone was starving. And, you know, if they would have had access to someone like this midwife, what would that look like for their family planning? And it made me think about things a lot differently. I think it's a great one for book clubs because it, it's just a great exploration of women's rights. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. We're, Kyle and I are actually, we're watching a series from um, from Cinemax called The Nick. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, it looks at it. looks at the Knickerbocker Hospital in um, New York City in 1900. And it also deals with a lot of these issues, just like just over 100 years ago, how, first of all, how few rights women had. It's startling to think about in our country how much has changed in 100 years, but also women's medicine and the profound changes since then. So it sounds like it's kind of along those lines of really examining it and really tracing all that has evolved and taken place in that time. So that sounds super fascinating to me. Yeah, it makes you super thankful that we have like so many great things now. We're educated and we know about things and and back then they just didn't. And so it was just a really interesting and compelling read, a great one for book clubs. Um, The third one I would say is called The Book of Unknown Americans and it's by Christina Henriquez. Um, And it's kind of humanizes the plights of immigrants now. And it explores what it would be like as an immigrant in a very real and honest way. Each of the chapters, they're not all different, but it's one apartment complex, all the different people that live there, and they're all immigrants. And what they all go through as they live in the in this apartment complex of trying to get accommodated to the United States. And it made me think about things in such a different way. For example, there's a really important scene where the mom is trying to get the child on the bus and she doesn't know if the bus driver can understand her and she doesn't know when the bus is coming back and she doesn't know when she puts her child on the bus if he's ever going to come back, you know, and it's this horrible thing, but it makes you think and it just makes you feel more compassionate to people who are unable to communicate here or just learning the language. And it's, it's definitely made me a more compassionate person since reading it. I love it. Will you give us a rundown of those, just the three titles again? Because I will for sure put links into the show notes for you all uh, with all of these titles. But Amy, I've never heard of any of these books. So I need, I need a rundown because I am adding these to my to be read list right now. Okay. The first one's called Those Who Save Us by Jenna Blum. The second one is called My Notorious Life by Kate Manning. And then the last one is The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Henriquez. They're all excellent. Oh, those are fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. That's so thoughtful to go out of your way to choose, you know, some of the best books that we've probably never read. So I love that, Amy. Thank you so much. So sometimes 
Sometimes when we are very lucky readers, books come into our lives and change our lives for the better. Sometimes in life, it's not a book, but it's a life circumstance that brings about about the life change. You and I have kids in that age range where because of the influx of technology in our culture today, we have to constantly be thinking about how are we going to deal with screen time in our house? How are we going to deal with it for our children? And how do we deal with it for our own selves? (laughs) Like, how do we navigate this issue for us as adults? And then how do we help our children to learn responsible ways to have screen time in their lives. You have a really fascinating story from your family that kind of illustrates what that path has looked like for you all. I would love for you to kind of just start at the beginning and tell us what this screen time discussion and conversation has looked like for you guys. Yeah, so we have always been very protective of our kids as far as screen time goes because, you know, just as we need boundaries, our kids need boundaries, and we're always striving to set good boundaries for them. And so, um, you know, we have limited their screen time to one hour a day after consulting with a professional about, you know, what is a good amount of screen time for our kids. And we were originally trying to squeeze in two hours in the evening after homework, and it was getting out of hand because my kids were rushing through their homework. They weren't doing a good job at it. And we wanted them to do good in school and also have that relaxing time that they needed. So we consulted with a professional to see how to manage it better. And he had suggested during school day, to minimize it to one hour on school nights and then two hours on the weekdays. So that's what we had been doing. And we had created this, you know, boundary with our children. And of course, when my son was little, he really, really wanted to play Minecraft a lot. I think that's something that we all, you know, are dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had set these new boundaries um, with him where he had originally had two hours. Now he has one hour when we had talked to the professional about it. And it was um, this really difficult time where I actually thought it was the best time in my life. I would come in my son's room and he would be you know, dressed and ready for the day. And it would be like 530 in the morning and he's ready to go. And like, I'm like, this kid's amazing. Like he's sitting on his bed reading a book. Well, what we found out later was that he had been getting up in the middle of the night playing Minecraft until it was time to get ready for school and then getting ready for school and then, you know, sitting there waiting for mom. So it was this thing where he, we were like, okay, now we need to set boundaries. So we were doing all these blockers. We had all these blockers. I couldn't get onto my computer um, for my job. I wasn't able to access sites because my husband had set all these blockers up and we knew that we needed to find a better solution. And so what we ended up doing was we found this great device. It's created by Disney. They, they contacted me when they were going to launch it. My husband had been looking for years and years and years for something that we could monitor our kids, but not block ourselves from things that we need to do on the internet and also create those parameters around the amount of time that they're allowed on the internet. And so it's called Circle. It's a little device. I think it's like $99. It's not very much money. It's kind of like when you buy a Fitbit where it comes with everything. You don't. It's not that you pay for software later or an internet monitoring fee or anything like that. It's just the flat fee. You get this little device and it um, works with your iPhone or your iPad and it can set the boundaries for your kids, setting it to one hour, putting devices to bed at night so that you don't have the Minecraft incident that happened to us in the middle of the night. And also like setting boundaries as far as internet searching and everything else. So it's been this great device that 
we have discovered has worked really well for our family. Yeah. And, and you know, in fact, you know, just a few episodes back, I think it was back in December, Kelly, our co-host Kelly, talked about Circle. They had just gotten one. They hadn't put it all in place yet. So she also had talked about this on the show and lots of people's ears perked up, I think, because it's like, oh, this is kind of like what we've been needing all along is something that helps all of us navigate this issue. Right. Because, you know, we, we want our kids to have, you know, that time, but we need to be able to monitor it as well. And we got our children fires, Kindle fires. I wouldn't say it was the best decision I'd ever made, you know, but also at the same time, you know, they're 10 and 13. They, they don't have phones yet. They don't have any type of social media account or anything like that, but this is something that they do on their free time. And I just wanted to be able to still monitor that when that device is in their room, I don't have any way to monitor it other than using this device. And so now I'm able to monitor everything for my phone. And I also really, really love the pause feature for the whole family, because if we need a family night or a game night or something like that, we can put everybody on pause, not just one person, but we can also pause one person. So let's <laughs> say you get behind on your science fair project. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm just like throwing that out hypothetically. <laughs> that would never happen over here. You know, then we can be like, well, I'm so sorry, like hypothetical child, like you will not be using the internet until you get back on track with your homework. And so it's just been a really good thing of monitoring as well as taking away privileges and honoring privileges. You do something great, maybe I'll adjust your time or I'll adjust your bedtime as you get older. But it's been a great way for us to monitor things at home. I think that's so great what you were talking about in terms of like being able to adjust it on an individual basis, because that's been hard for us too. my kids, my older two kids are are fairly close in age. They're a little over two years apart and trying to decide like what is fair and reasonable for each person, because they, of course, always want to be like, well, she got this much time and now I need to get this much time. And, you know, they want everything to be even. And so having those conversations about just because something is fair doesn't mean it's going to be exactly even. And those are hard life lessons to learn. I think it's good to start teaching them when they are kids that that's, I mean, that's just kind of how life works for all of us. So I know that you have one child with ADHD and another child who does not have that. And so I'm sure that for you guys as a family and as parents trying to navigate and figure out like, how do we take each individual kid and their unique way of being in the world? How do we take all of that into account and figure out what this screen time issue is going to look like? Right. And with ADHD, obviously, the internet is a stimulant. It's a stimulant. They they want that. And that was one of our main issues with the Minecraft thing. That was a stimulant for him. He needed that. But we also needed to set parameters around how, how he used that. And so some of the ways that we found, at least with Ethan... Um, our son, who has shared openly about his journey with ADHD, I'm not breaking any confidences with him. He loves he loves to share his story because he wants to inspire other kids with our our journey towards figuring out what was going on. But you know, we found other ways that he can use the internet. So for example, my husband's having him doing coding classes or doing something like that. And so that doesn't count towards your hour. If you want to learn something, I'll work with you on coding or something that will help you hopefully later navigate through life. And um, and so that's some ways that we are still able to use that. Or if you want to hang out with us and you want to do something with us, 
we'll do something with you. And like, it will be a family building experience instead of this being the solo thing where, you know, it's just, it's solely, you know, playing with other people online. We want it to be more than that. So that's what we all need boundaries. I need boundaries for myself. I filter a lot of things out for myself. I set limits on my own time and I, I need that as much as they do. That is so great. And I think a huge part of that is just being able and being open as parents to have these conversations. This is, I feel like, you know, I have a a unique experience in that I have both toddlers and tweens right now. So you definitely have one. Yeah. So my parenting is kind of on two different ends of the spectrum where with the twins, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of hands-on you know, like actual hands-on redirecting and teaching, you know, like this is how our family works all day, every day. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But then when they're tweens, and I'm sure it's this way with boys as well, my two tweens are girls, but it's a lot, a lot, a lot of talking. This is what our family is about. This is what we want for you. This is how we're guiding you and directing you because we have, we know that you can accomplish these things. It's a lot of discussion. And you were sharing with me that you have come across maybe even by accident, a little trick or a hack for parents who are needing to engage in conversation, whether it's light or whether it's heavy, engaging in conversations with our tweens. And I was going to see if you could tell us a little bit more about that, what you discovered with one of your kiddos. Yeah. So I know that conversations are hard and I, I lived in a very, you know, private Christian home. Like we, we talked about things, but very little. And I really wanted my kids to hear things from me and, and not get them some somewhere else from their friends. And, you know, obviously I can't control everything, but, um, ideally we have this great conversation where they feel comfortable talking to me and I feel comfortable talking with them. And so I've discovered that talking to my children in the rear view mirror is the best kind of talking that I can do with my kids, especially with my son, where he might be a little bit more shy or embarrassed to talk to his mom about certain topics. I want him to always feel comfortable with me. And I found without looking him in the eye is the best way to do it. And so a lot of times, you know, we'll just take a a trip to the library or something like that. And I'll be like, hey, do you want to ask me any questions? Or, you know, I've been thinking maybe we should talk about this topic. And, you know, just doing that through the rearview mirror has been great. And he's very much more honest, I should say, than if we were sitting face to face where he's like, mom, like, why are you asking me that? It's so embarrassing, you know, but I think maybe just, you know, not looking at him and like, we have the music going and I'm just kind of like out of the side of my eye or like peeking in the mirror and making sure he's okay back there. Um, It's just been a really great way to do it. And so continuing forward, I think that's how most of our conversations will go. And and a lot of times he asked me some surprising things that I, I'm so happy that he feels comfortable asking me that. And I hope that it, that trend continues with my daughter, that we have this great conversation. I think with girls, it's, it might be a little bit easier eye to eye, but with boys, rear view mirror is really the way to go. <laughs> that is so great. I love that. The rear view mirror conversation. I know we're going to be employing that a lot around here. I have found it is easier, I think, so far with girls, um, although they do definitely get embarrassed with some of the things even that I bring up. But I have told them since they were little, little girls that I am the safest person on the planet for them, that they can come to their dad and I with any questions about anything. And as we've moved into their tween years, they have taken me up on that, although they are sometimes cringing and I'm 
cringing on the inside, but trying to be cool on the outside. Right. (laughs) But I really love that. I think it's a matter of finding like, what are these little tips and learning from other parents? What worked for you guys when you were in that season and, and going through those tough conversations or, you know, Amy, even just like the little things like finding out who their closest friends are right now or, or who they're interested in or what their favorite thing going on at school is. So many times when there's not that pressure of like, sit down, let's have a talk kind of thing. It's amazing what kids will tell you. Yes, absolutely. I just want to be an open book to my kids. I want them to ask me if they can. And I always want to cultivate that with them. And I'll do it in whatever way we have to. We've just found that this is kind of an untraditional way of having great conversations. And we're in the car a lot. So that's a great place to do it. And especially one-on-one time with my kids. Love it. Love it. Well, Amy, we are coming to the end of our time together. This has been so fun to talk about some of these life-changing things and books and conversations for you and what you have had going on on your end of momadvice.com. It has been so great to have you on the show. Before we wrap up, I would love for you to share with all of us where we can find you all around the web. So I'm mom advice everywhere. I'm momadvice.com is my site and you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter. And we also have a little private group called the mom advice hangout, kind of like your hangout where yeah. we just sit around and <laughs> gab about books and anything else that might strike your fancy. So I'm easy to find a mom advice just about everywhere. Thank you so much for that. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg, or come on over to Facebook. Find us there. We're at facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. The show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks for listening today, awesomes, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.